3: What? Wow. encore presentation of the Rick Edelman Show. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman.
2: A very happy holiday weekend to you. Yes, it's still a holiday weekend. Christmas is behind us. Hanukkah soon will be. But New Year's is ahead of us here on The Rick Edelman Show. And I want to talk about New Year's Eve. Are you going to New York? Are you going to go to Times Square to watch the ball drop? Think about this. Two million people will be on Times Square for New Year's Eve. If you plan on going, you've got to arrive very, very early because they now have been doing this ever since 9/11 they cordon off sections of Broadway to handle security as well as pedestrian traffic flow and such and those 2 million folks get there really early to get their spot to watch the ball drop they don't allow bags they don't allow backpacks they don't allow alcohol they Don't allow you to move around once you're in your spot in these cordoned-off areas. That's it. You ain't going anywhere. And that means no restrooms. There's nowhere to go to the restroom. The very few restaurants and bars that are open in the area do not allow the public in. Unless you have a reservation and you're dining in that establishment, you can't use their facilities. Which means if you're going to get there in time for the ball drop at midnight, you need to arrive by 11 in the morning. You're going to be there for maybe 12 hours or more. Think about that for a second. So you know what a lot of people do? Since they are in a place outside where they can't leave, because if they leave, they're going to be kicked out and never to come back. They're not going to let you back in because the crowd will be too big. You'll lose your spot. You can't find a restroom. You can't leave your spot any way to go, even if you could use a public restroom. And so what a lot of folks say they do is they wear an adult diaper. And this way, they could handle being in the crowd for 8 or 10 or 12 hours. Now, here's what I find so fascinating. The kids, and let's face it, they are mostly kids, right? They're, they're kids in their 20s, maybe late teens and perhaps into their early 30s as well, who are doing this out of incredible excitement and fun and enthusiasm, have never done this before. These are people who have never before worn an adult diaper. So the question I ask is, here's an idea. How about you wear one right now? You've never done it before. I'm just curious. I've never worn one either. I'm just curious. How much volume does an adult diaper hold? And how much does it weigh? I'm just wondering what it's like to stand around, walk around for hours. And look, look, we know that that urine is warm. You know, it's body temperature, so not a big deal. But it gets cold once it leaves the body. And what's it like to stand there with this large mass of fluid between your legs, for hours on end. Those who write about this stuff on the Internet, and yeah, you can pretty much find everybody writing about everything on the Internet, they say that it can be excruciatingly painful once it gets cold. And these temperatures could well be freezing into the late night hours of New Year's Eve, And I'm suspecting that the vast majority, perhaps all of these revelers, have never worn an adult diaper. How do they even know how to put it on? What if they don't put it on correctly? What if you do put it on correctly and you do use it at three in the afternoon? What do you do at 10 o'clock that night? How long can you hold it? How often might you need to use it? How much volume can this diaper hold? And what happens if you, you know, exceed the diaper's capacity? And here's what's even more fascinating. Even those who might be smart enough to say, I think I better try it on now before I go to New York, before I get to Times Square, make sure I know how to put it on and make sure I can put my jeans on over it. Okay. But I think in addition to wearing it as a trial, you should actually... Use it as a trial and let's make sure it operates as you're expecting it to operate. Because better to figure all this out while you're in the comfort of your home when you can relieve yourself of the diaper itself Uh, rather than discovering in the middle of Times Square at four in the afternoon that, oops, you should have thought more about this. Okay, and now you're wondering, why am I talking about all this on a personal finance show? The odds are you're not going to Times Square on New Year's Eve, and even if you do, odds are even better that you're not going to attempt to handle the trip with an adult diaper. Why am I talking about this? And would I please stop talking about this? Here's why. It's an illustration that people often embark on an exercise of which they have no experience And they sometimes take a little bit of a Pollyanna attitude. Oh, it'll be fine. Oh, it'll all work out. Well, let me ask you this question. How much income are you going to have in retirement? And are you going to be able to live on that income in retirement? Or say that you're about to have a baby and you're assuming that, One of you is going to quit working for a period of time, going from a two-income household to a one-income household, and you're saying, oh, it'll be fine. We'll work it out. In retirement, without my big paycheck at work, I'm going to live on my smaller Social Security income or my meager savings and investment income, and oh, it'll be fine. Or I'm planning to buy a new house and there will be larger expenses and I'll just cut back on going out to dinner. I just won't travel as much. Oh, it'll be fine. How do you know? Why wait, in other words, until the event occurs to test the thesis as to whether or not you'll succeed? Why wait until you get to Times Square to prove the theory? So if you are planning to retire and living on a certain income at that time, if you are planning to buy a house that will have a certain amount of expenses at that time, if you're about to have a baby and with it implications for household spending and household income, here's an idea. Start right now. Just as you should try on that diaper in your bedroom in the comfort of your home now, well in advance, days ahead of New Year's Eve, here's an idea. Act today as though you are retired. Act today as though you're in that new house. Act today as though the baby has arrived. Live right now on the income you say you're going to have to live on. Set aside the second paycheck that's going to go away. Pretend it no longer exists, because it one day pretty soon won't exist. Act right now that you're going to have the lifestyle that you know is soon coming. If you can't do it now while it's optional and voluntary, how are you going to be able to do it later when it's mandatory and required? Too often we discover folks doing things for the very first time that they've never done before, have no experience engaging in, and are shocked to discover the details associated with it. Yeah, I bought my car, and sure, I can afford the monthly payment on the car. It didn't occur to me that the gas mileage is half of my old car, and my gasoline bill is now double. I wasn't planning on that. Yeah, I bought my new house, and I can afford the monthly payment, but my commute is further than it used to be. I'm spending more on fuel. Yeah, I got a new job and I got a raise, but at the new job, I've got to pay for parking. And I didn't have to do that at my old job. I didn't think about that. My old job allowed me to bring my lunch to work. My new job doesn't allow me to do that as effectively. I'm incurring extra costs that I wasn't anticipating. That's what financial planning is all about. Anticipating the future and making preparations for it today. One of the most effective things you can do for your planning is to act today as though the future is already here. If you need help figuring this kind of thing out, if you need help structuring your lifestyle accordingly, that's what we can do for you. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888 Or visit us online at ricestellman.com. And while we might not be able to give you advice as to the best adult diaper to buy we are able to ask you some questions about the lifestyle you're anticipating to help make sure you've thought it through correctly. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to, yeah, the truth about money.
3: More with the author of the 2008 personal finance book of the year, The Lies About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
2: Welcome back to the Truth About Money. Rick Edelman here. We're starting off a new year. Good time to remind you that the key to investing successfully, that is, is to focus on the long term, not the latest headlines and the daily closes of the market. So we've put together some of our favorite phone calls from the past year that will help demonstrate how important it is to maintain that long term perspective and give you some other important considerations about saving and investing. And if you need help right now, call us at AAA to plan rick or go to our website at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Enjoyed today's show. Let's head off to Las Vegas. Travis is with us. How are you doing, Travis? Good. How are you doing, Rick? Doing great. Thank you. How can I help? So I've been hearing a lot about how interest rates are lower right now. Yep. And I'm just wondering how you know when it's a good time to refinance. Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, We are actively encouraging a lot of our clients to refinance their mortgages right now. Uh, In other cases, we're telling them not to refinance. So how do you know the difference? When should you? Uh, It's a straight mathematical question which makes it really easy to evaluate. Now, if you don't know how to do this, uh, just call a financial advisor. You're welcome to call us. uh, If you have a mortgage and you're thinking, should you refinance, we'll run the math for you and tell you the answer to the question. It's really uh, very simple and easy to do when you've done it lots and lots of times. So here's what it comes down to, Travis, real real simple. You take a look at your current Uh, mortgage payment. And so you know how much your mortgage payment is. What I also want you to determine is how much of your current mortgage payment is interest. Because your payment is a combination of interest and principal. So what portion of your payment is interest? And are you taking a tax deduction for that interest? Not everybody does. People who take the standard deduction don't deduct the mortgage interest they pay. So what's the interest portion of your payment? And Are you taking a tax deduction for it? Because that factors into the math that we're going to do. Now that we've done for your current mortgage. Now we go over to the new proposed mortgage. We take a look, if you were going to refinance, what's the new lower interest rate you're going to get, and what's the new payment going to be? And again, remember, part of that payment is interest. In fact, with a brand new mortgage, most of the payment, almost all of it, is going to be interest. So again, if you're going to deduct it on your taxes, that makes it even cheaper to, uh, to have. So it's the more you deduct, the cheaper the loan gets. Now we look at the difference between the two. Let's say, for example, that the new loan is $100 less than the current loan. And you would ordinarily say to yourself, golly, I can save 100 bucks a month, I ought to go do it. But wait, there's one final piece of info that you've got to determine. What is the cost of obtaining that new loan? You see, every mortgage company charges fees. And there are a wide variety of fees associated with the process of getting or refinancing a mortgage. And those fees can be a good couple of thousand dollars. So let's say that the new loan saves you 100 bucks a month. But let's also say it costs you $2,000 in order to do it. Well, that means it'll take you 20 months, nearly two years, to break even. And then the question becomes, do you plan on staying in the house for two years? Because if you're going to sell the house in three years, it probably really isn't worth it. If you're going to stay in the house for 10 years, then yes, it's a great deal. So it's that simple. I'll summarize it for you. You look at the cost of the current mortgage, you compare it to the cost of the new mortgage, and you see if the monthly savings are worth it compared to the cost of doing the whole thing in the first place okay that makes sense so like I said, if you don't know how to go through that math and do that evaluation, we'll do it for you. Uh, we're happy to do it. Just call us at H plan Rick and we'll run through the numbers, and we'll give you the answer. And it is, here's the good news. Like I said, it's just math. There's no emotion. There's no evaluation. There's no consideration. It's just arithmetic on a spreadsheet. So it's simple and easy to calculate, and we can tell you whether or not you really ought to. One related question that often comes up to this, Travis... What kind of a loan should you get? Should it be a 30-year loan or a 15-year loan? Should it be a fixed-rate loan or an adjustable-rate loan? So we would want to evaluate with you the answer to those questions as well. And the overwhelming majority of the time, we recommend a 30-year fixed-rate loan for reasons that we could get into in another time. But the bottom line is many people millions of American homeowners right now could save a couple of hundred dollars a month by refinancing their mortgages. So if you haven't refinanced lately, you really should take a look at this because you can save a lot of money. Okay. Thank you very much. Travis, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the call. I think that question is on a lot of people's minds, and I'm glad you raised it for us here on the program. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com. Are you thinking of buying a house? Are you going to hire a real estate agent? Or are you going to try to use one of those online services that exists in an effort to avoid the real estate agent's commission? While well, the Consumer Federation of America has just issued a report warning of the high cost of using online services. They say the total cost of using an online service such as Opendoor, Keller Williams, Rheology, or Zillow is 13 to 15% of a home's price. A real estate agent's commission is typically 6%. In other words, the online services all in, according to CFA is more than double the cost of hiring a real estate agent. This is why we have told you for many, many years, in fact, our advice has been consistent on this forever. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
2: Chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: You should not try to buy a home without the aid of a professional real estate agent. You certainly shouldn't try to sell one without the aid of a professional real estate agent either. Because... You don't know what you don't know. How many houses have you bought and sold in your lifetime? Do you realize that professional real estate agents do that every month? The more often you do something, the better you are at it. And chances are, when folks are looking at, oh my goodness, look at the commission I got to pay the real estate agent, think of the money, think of the time, think of the aggravation, think of the risks that the real estate agent helps you avoid. That's what their service is worth in terms of value. And so we strongly endorse and believe in the use of real estate agents. Be very careful if you're going to use an online service. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Here's something that is a little bit concerning. Are you buying a new car? 32% of new car loans are for six to seven years. 32%. One out of three of the people who are buying new cars are getting car loans for six to seven years. A decade ago, only 12% of car loans were so long, this is a problem. You really shouldn't be doing this. You have to recognize the likelihood you'll really keep the car for six or seven years. Because if you only keep the car four years, that's typically warranties or four years or less, you will still owe more at the end of five or six years than the car is worth, which means you can't sell it without being upside down. So what do a lot of people do? A third of new car buyers, they take the money they owe on the old car and roll it over into the loan of the new car, which means they're not only borrowing money to buy the new car, they're using that loan to carry over the cost of the old car. You're now paying for two cars, even though you only have one of them. Before you get a loan that is beyond four years on your car, Talk with us here at Edelman Financial Engines so that we can help you evaluate how much of a car can you really afford to buy so that you don't end up with too high a monthly payment for too long a period of time, obligating future income you haven't even yet earned to help you avoid this big dilemma. Issues such as buying a car is an important element in your broader financial planning. Don't ignore it. Get financial advice from a professional financial planner when you're ready to get your next automobile. Call us, 888-PLAN-REC. We're happy to help. Visit us online at ricestelman.com.
3: For free articles on personal finance, sign up for Rick's email update at rickedelman.com.
2: Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for uh, sticking around with me during the holiday season. We're heading off to Bethesda, Maryland. Patrick's with us on the air. How are you doing, Patrick?
4: Great. Thanks for taking my call, Rick.
2: My pleasure. How can I help?
4: So I recently met with some financial advisors from a large firm arranged by my employer and had a question or concern about what they had suggested. During our conversation, one of the advisors suggested that I might be a good candidate for a quote-unquote Shields that was described to me as an annuity based on what he called an index fund chassis, which I didn't really understand. The way it was described was that the advantage is that there are literally no fees and the fund would protect me or make me whole, he said, if the market declines by up to 10%, which he referred to as a shield 10, but it also would cap my gains if, after a certain point but I don't think he specified what that point was. And their suggestion was that it might be a good idea to move funds for my TSP, which is about half of my retirement portfolio of around $750,000 into this type of a product. So I think I've heard you talk about something like this before, and I just wanted to know if that would make any sense, or should I head for the hills, or is there any reason why I would want to move TSP funds somewhere other than the TSP?
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that you want to head for the hills uh, with this sales pitch. This is a convoluted, jargon-filled, manipulative description of a very basic product. He's describing an annuity. And he didn't want to say that. He didn't want to call it just an annuity because annuities have a bad reputation, and rightly so. And so he gave you all kinds of jargon that was designed to bamboozle you. An index fund chassis. Uh, I don't even know what the heck that is. A shield? I mean, this is... What what is this? The the Marvels? I mean, is this the Avengers? Uh, I I don't even know what the, the guy's talking about. The bottom line is this. He's giving you... A very bizarre, poorly formed explanation of a very basic product, a product that has significant negative attributes in my view. First, the product does indeed shield you from stock market losses. Well, so does a bank CD. You know, I mean, the fact that it's not invested in stocks, that's why you're shielded from them. And because you're not invested in stocks, you're not going to get the returns of the stock market. As he mentioned to you, there's a cap on the maximum amount of money that this product is going to provide you at any given moment. But here's the craziest part of the whole thing. Your money is currently in a retirement account. You work for the federal government. And you have your money in the federal thrift savings plan. The money invested there is at the moment completely tax deferred, meaning you don't pay any taxes on the money in your thrift account until you withdraw the money in retirement. And the thrift account is the cheapest retirement account in the country by virtue of the fact it's offered by the federal government. Costs are extraordinarily low. They're no lower anywhere else in the financial marketplace. You know what the number one benefit of an annuity is? I have no idea. Tax deferral. When you put money into a mutual fund, you have to pay taxes every year on the profits. But if you put money into an annuity, the profits are tax-deferred until withdrawal. Does that sound familiar? Tax-deferred until withdrawal? Sure. It's the same thing as your thrift account. In other words, taking the money out of a thrift account, which is tax-deferred until withdrawal, to move it into an annuity, which is tax-deferred until withdrawal, isn't giving you any benefit. But what you are doing is generating massive new levels of fees, which is the most astonishing part of his entire sales pitch. When he said to you, there are virtually no costs. He's an outright liar. Annuities are laden with expenses. How do you think he's earning the 10% commission he's going to get when you buy this thing? Where's that 10% coming from? Hint. It's you. (laughs) So uh, I think you're absolutely right. He's not offering you any particular arguments that would encourage me to say, yes, it's a great idea, and you really ought to go do it. But I want to go backwards a little bit. You work for the federal government, yes? I did. I don't anymore. And you said that this meeting was set up via your employer.
4: My current employer, that's correct.
2: Your current employer, different from the federal government.
4: Not a a government agency. All
2: right, so let me get this straight. So you used to work for the federal government, right? That's correct. You now work for a private employer. Correct. And the private employer set up a meeting with uh, employees and this financial advisor. That's correct. And this financial advisor, let me guess, works for an insurance company. Yes, that's correct. And in the course of this retirement planning seminar, suggested that you take the money from your retirement plan at the federal government and roll it over to this annuity product. That's correct. All right, you you should go to your employer on Monday, and tell whoever it was, probably the HR department, uh, tell them that you spoke to me, and I told you to tell them that they need to do a much better job at vetting the people that they permit into the company to solicit employees with really bad advice that is filled with conflict of interest, lack of disclosure, and fundamentally not serving the employee's best interests.
4: That is exactly what I thought.
2: Because I don't think your boss realizes what's going on. I don't think they realize that they just opened the hen house and invited the fox inside.
4: Well, I don't think our HR department are necessarily financial experts, so of course I agree not. with you on that.
2: Yeah, that's the point. Was that they didn't do this maliciously. They were trying hard to provide their workers with helpful financial info, and they didn't realize that the person that they were inviting in isn't an objective fee-based financial advisor, doesn't have a reputation as a financial educator, and instead was inviting a mutual fund salesman, or in this case, they were inviting an annuity salesman to come in and make an annuity sales pitch to their workers. That's not what I think your employer had in mind when they set this meeting up. I'm sure they didn't. Yeah. So they'd be happy to hear the feedback that you'll provide to them because they want to do a better job. And here's the exciting part. Employers are more and more devoted to the subject of financial security for their employees. Health and wellness uh, is a thing that employers have been dealing with a long time. They've offered seminars on improving your diet and quit smoking and get a better exercise. And now they're recognizing that workers also need help with their personal finances. And so health wellness is now broadening to also financial wellness, which is wonderful. The problem is the employers aren't experts in this, and they don't necessarily know who to turn to to invite into the firm. And this is a big deal for us because we're the nation's largest independent provider of investment advice to 401k plans here at Edelman Financial Engines, we work with more than 6,200 employers all around the country providing financial education, the kind that you should be getting, not the veiled sales pitches designed to produce big fat commissions and the sale of insurance products. And so it always drives me crazy when I hear stories like yours, Patrick, because we know there's a better way. It could be done so much superior to what your experience was. And you were smart enough to detect the problems, I wonder how many of your colleagues sitting around that room were just mesmerized by the fancy sales pitch and ended up making a decision that is not in their best interest.
4: Well, I'm the beneficiary of my mother who gave me a signed copy of The Truth About Money many years ago, (laughs) and I've been listening to you for a long time, and that's why I thought to call. So thank you. Well,
2: I appreciate that very much. I'm really glad you enjoyed my book, my very first book that I wrote nearly 20 years ago, and so I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, So, Patrick, Thank you for calling. I'm glad you had your radar up. You're absolutely right in your suspicion, and I'm glad I was able to confirm it for you. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show, and I'm really glad that you are. It means you're focused on your personal finances. You care about where you're headed financially. And If you've got questions about any aspect of your personal finances, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742, or visit us online at ricedelman.com.
3: Providing personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to hour two of the Truth About Money. We're presenting phone calls from uh,
2: lots of our favorite shows of the recent past, and you're going to hear questions and topics I bet you might have missed. And if you need help, triple eight plan Rick. You can also visit us at our website whenever you want, RickEdelman.com. That's RiceDelman.com. Again, the phone number triple eight plan Rick. Let's go right to the phone calls. Off to Boynton Beach, Florida. We've got Bill on the phone. How are you, Bill? (laughs) Hey Rick, Uh, good good day. Uh, Thanks for taking my call.
1: Um, Yeah, I have a question. I think you addressed this maybe a year ago, but I'd like to hear you uh, cover it again, if you don't mind. You know, we hear of people that lose money in cases of where uh, their financial advisor was able to access and withdraw, you know, the client's funds Mm. um, without their knowledge in many cases. Uh, Could you tell us what to look out for or what to look for uh, when investing with any given brokerage so that, you know, we're safe
2: sure uh, that's a really important question you know we, we spend all of our time helping our clients generate the right returns on their money when what we ought to sometimes be talking about is getting a return of your money you know instead of and it's it's because there are unfortunately as in any industry and any profession there are some nefarious players uh sometimes incompetent people and in other times outright crooks or frauds and unfortunately you know willie sutton you know famously was asked why do you rob banks he said That's where the money is. And Uh so if you want to rip people off, you go to where the money is. And so you go to people with money and you convince them that you're an honest, ethical financial advisor. And in fact, you create an opportunity to steal. And so we do, as consumers, have to be on our guard. We have to be watchful. How do you do that? Number one, by working with a reputable organization, a firm, not just an individual, Because if you deal with just an individual, a mom-and-pop shop, someone who's got their own shingle hanging out the door, their financial resources are limited. In other words, if something does go wrong, if they do turn out to be a crook and they literally steal your money, who are you going to go after? If they're a mom-and-pop shop, a sole practitioner, hanging out their own shingle, who are you going to sue? Who are you going to go get the money from? as opposed to dealing with a very strong, reputable firm with decades of experience and a massive reputation they desperately want to protect, if an individual broker or advisor or insurance agent in that firm does something nefarious, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect the firm will stand behind that and reimburse you. To say, yeah, you know, we and even if they don't want to stand behind you and voluntarily reimburse you, when you go through the arbitration process, when you file a complaint with federal regulators, when you take them to court, the courts, the regulators, the arbitration panels can impose a fine, can demand restitution, and these firms are big enough that they can afford to write the check. So even if they don't want to voluntarily do the right thing, they can be forced to do so. You know, there was a story I talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago about Don Bennett. A financial advisor, sole practitioner, who turned out to be running a massive Ponzi scheme, stole $20 million from her clients. She was just sentenced to prison for 20 years, and the judge ordered her to pay back $14 million to the people she ripped off. Guess what? They're not going to see a nickel. Dawn spent the money. She doesn't have the $14 million bucks, And besides, she's in prison for 20 years. How's she going to reimburse them? And on the other hand, if Don Bennett had been an employee of a major firm, yeah, even though Don's in jail, the firm is still around with its massive resources to be able to provide restitution to those clients. So I'm a big right. fan of not dealing with the sole practitioner or, or advisor. I mean, it, just, it, it raises the challenge of getting restitution should, heaven forbid, it ever become necessary. Second, use common sense one of the most effective ways to lose money is to fall for an outrageous sales pitch. And that's what Ponzi schemes are all about. Pump and dump schemes are all about these. Affinity fraud are all about this. The Nigerian frauds that you've heard about, these are all frauds where the perpetrators promise you massive profits in very short periods of time. I'm going to double your money in 90 days. I'm going to guarantee you 15% returns in the stock market. That's what Dawn Bennett promised her victims, 15% annual returns. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. It's as simple as that. You've got to temper your greed so that you aren't looking at this with rose-colored glasses saying, boy, would my life be so much better if I were to triple my money overnight we need to recognize that if this person is offering you something that no one ever- okay round two name something that's not
0: boring
1: a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh
0: ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes Chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Else, anywhere else is offering, odds are really high it's a fraud. Next. Right. Do not ever write your investment check payable to your advisor or to your advisor's firm. Your check, for example, here at Edelman Financial Engines, Our clients never write their investment checks payable to Edelman Financial Engines. They write their checks payable to Charles Schwab or to TD Ameritrade or to E-Trade, the custodians that we use on behalf of our clients for the management of their assets. So we never actually have possession of our client's money. We never have control of our client's money. We never have access to it. All we have is permission, provided by the client, to execute trades in their account at Schwab Got or TDA it. or E-Trade so that we can you know buy and sell securities on their behalf, but we can't liquidate money. We can't access money. The money can only be accessed by the client. If a liquidation is made, it can only go to the address of record, the client's home address. So you never want to make your check payable to your advisor or to your advisor's firm. And if they demand that, that's a red flag. Guess what? That's what Bernie Madoff did. Bernie Madoff demanded that his clients write their checks payable to Bernie Madoff, giving him control over the money major red flag here's another one do not allow your advisor to send you your account statements your advisor can show you data sure we do for our clients all the time in fact on our website our client portal we allow our clients to see the value of their accounts and so on that's fine but that doesn't mean we're actually sending them their official statements their official statements are coming from their custodian TDA Schwab retrade not us Bernie Madoff was sending statements to his clients that he manufactured. And guess what? Since he was manufacturing them, he said whatever he felt like saying. Total lie. Sure. So if your statements are coming to you from your advisor, that's a red flag. If you're, Interesting. If your advisor refuses to provide you statements, that's a huge red flag. So when it comes right down to it, you should be thinking about your relationship with your advisor. In context, or I would say reference to your bank, you know what it's like dealing with your bank. Your bank sends you monthly statements. Your bank is a big institution. Your bank isn't making outrageous promises. And similarly, a rational, reasonable, honest, ethical, legitimate financial advisor will be acting likewise. Big organization, strong reputation, ample financial resources to solve problems should they occur isn't making outlandish promises, providing good service, delivering on the goals and objectives that you've established as the uh, point of the relationship. Simple as that. Interesting,
1: Rick. So if I had an account with you guys, it would actually be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, with Charles Schwab or Fidelity, whoever I chose, but you guys would be making the decisions. Is that how it works?
2: Yes, with one tiny little twist that matters more to us than to you. When you deal with a financial advisor like us and we establish an account for you, say at TD Ameritrade, we aren't going to open your account for you at TD Ameritrade as you know it. What we're going to do is open an account for you with TDA Institutional. TD Ameritrade has a separate division in their business specifically for financial advisors. And we provide our clients accounts there because we have services, access, and in fact pricing that isn't available to you as a retail investor. So yes, your account might be opened at Schwab or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or E-Trade or somewhere else, but we, as the advisor, will be able to provide benefits and services to you that you can't get on your own. And that's one of the reasons people say, oh yeah, I'm going to open an account with TDA, but I'm going to do it through Edelman Financial Engines because I get benefits that way that I don't get if I go to TDA directly.
1: Got it. Interesting. That's very comforting, seriously.
2: I'm glad that it is. And, you know, it's so easy to avoid getting ripped off, and it pains us to no end when we see people harmed because we know it was so easy to see those red flags and to avoid the issues. One of the other aspects I didn't even mention, I guess I, I ought to, is that before hiring an advisor, you should Google them. Check them out. The good news about the Internet these days is that everybody's everywhere. And it's easy to identify that this person has a reputable background, uh, is an upstanding citizen. At SEC, uh, go to sec.gov or go to finra.org. They both have databases. They let you type in the name of the advisor or the name of the firm. And right there will pop up the regulatory history. You'll be able to see if there have been complaints, if there have been fines or suspensions. Why anybody would hire a crook, to me, it's just outright laziness. And yet I talked on the, right. on the show just a couple of weeks ago of uh, the fact that there's a guy who went to prison for securities fraud, and he's under house arrest right now. He's serving out the latter part of his term in his home, and he's perpetuating another Ponzi scheme while still serving the sentence of his first crime. <laughs> the only way someone could fall victim to this is if they didn't bother to Google the guy's name because they would realize he's a convicted felon. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Rick. You're very welcome. I appreciate All the call. Right. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money, H plan rick online at ricestelman.com.
3: More with the author of the number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
2: Let's do some phone calls here on the Rick Edelman show off the Jackson, California. Mary's on the program. How are you, Mary? Hi, I'm fine. How can I help you? Well, I'm calling for my son. He's a truck driver.
4: Mm-hmm. He just moved to Texas and he needs a um, tax accountant. He needs to know where to put his money for retirement and taxes.
2: And he's, um, Needs to know everything about money, I guess. Okay. Let me take a wild guess. He moved to Texas from California. Yes. Isn't that amazing? I know this stuff. And and the reason I say (laughs) that is that there's a huge exodus out of California these days to Texas and Nevada because of taxes, because there's a big state income tax in in California, and Texas, of course, is tax-free, as is Nevada. Uh, and in Florida while we're at it. And uh, so that's not uncommon for people. Whenever I hear somebody saying, I moved to Texas, odds are pretty good they came from California. And why, why did I say California as opposed to, I don't know, Arizona? Because there are a lot more people who live in California than live in Arizona. It's just California is the most populous state in America. So anyway, so yes, you're, uh, you're, you said he's a truck driver. Is he an employed truck driver or does he own his own truck? Is he self-employed?
4: He was for a while, but now he's an independent contractor for
2: a company. Got it. Okay. So as an independent contractor, that means he's self-employed. This makes a really big difference because when you're an employee working for someone else, you uh, get a salary. You might get bonuses. Some people are on commissions. Truck drivers generally not. They do sometimes earn bonuses uh, based on their performance. Uh, And they get employee benefits like paid vacation and health insurance and stuff like that. And then they can have a 401k uh, if that company offers it and so on. But it's a very straightforward thing when it comes to taxes if you're an employee because employees generally don't have much flexibility in terms of their ability to increase tax deductions. They don't have much opportunity to lower their taxes via their behavior. It's just the way it is under the tax code. But that's not true for people who are self-employed, like your son. Because he's an independent contractor, that Under the IRS rules, means he's a self employed individual. And this is wonderful because it means, as a self employed individual, your son can take all sorts of deductions for the operation of his business expenses he incurs in uh, buying, maintaining, and operating the truck, expenses he incurs in operating his business, even including the ability for him to create his own retirement plan, his own 401k, because he doesn't work for someone who hands him one. So he can go create one on his own, not only saving a lot of money for his future, but getting a big tax deduction along the way at the same time. And for all these reasons, you're absolutely right. He needs a good tax preparer, Someone who is skilled and experienced in dealing with self-employed individuals. And he also needs a good financial advisor because there are a lot of issues that your son is dealing with that go beyond the taxes. Such as the creation of a retirement plan and creating a proper savings uh, and, and helping to make sure that your son is operating his business in a way that shields his, himself personally and his family From liability. Because as a self-employed person, if heaven forbid he gets involved in an auto accident while on the job, he is personally liable. And that could wipe him and his family out financially. There are ways we can protect against that. Uh, such as the formation of a limited liability company or other corporate entity. And so he needs good financial advice in addition to good tax advice. Uh, He needs good legal advice. So we can help your son with all of this. We have offices uh, throughout the state of Texas, and we work closely with outside accountants and attorneys uh, and other professionals real estate agents, mortgage professionals, uh, insurance professionals, and so on, to help provide the resources that your son needs. So all that is necessary here is for your son to give us a call, and we can hook him up with one of my colleagues, and we'll get everything taken care of for him.
4: All right. I'll give him your number.
2: I'm really glad you're looking out for your son, especially since he doesn't have the time to do it, running his own business and being on the road all day long. Uh, but he's going to have to take a little bit of time to take care of some of this uh, housekeeping stuff.
4: Right. And I'll keep after him. <laughs> As mothers
2: do. As mothers do. Yes, indeed. It's it's what uh, my mom calls a nudge. That's okay. Um, so <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing, Mary. Your son will be better off for it. And the more he complains about it, the more you know you're Right. Right. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for calling. You can do what Mary did for yourself or for your family, whether it's your kids or your parents. Give us a call on their behalf. We're happy to help. 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Online at ricestellman.com. If Mary's son is moving to Texas, he may very well be buying a home. Are you thinking of buying a new home? So you work with a real estate agent. And you finally find the house of your dreams and you sign the sales contract, and it's now time to pay up, right? You got to make a down payment on the house. Uh, You got to put up earnest money. You're ready, you know, you're paying cash for the whole property, maybe, and you just got to write that big fat check. So, what happens? Your real estate agent sends you an email, and the email explains to you who to wire the money to. It's got the wire information and all that kind of good stuff, and so you send the wire instructions off to your bank, and your money, $50,000, $100,000, half a million dollars, whatever, goes to the escrow account for the seller to eventually get their money. Uh Uh-oh. According to the FBI, there were more than 11,000 victims nationwide last year alone, who suffered wire transfer fraud. It cost $150 million last year in losses. What's happening is that crooks are hacking the email accounts of real estate agents. And by trolling through the emails, they can see which client is about to buy a house. And they send false wire transfer instructions to the buyer. So you get an email that you think is from your real estate agent. It is, in fact, from your real estate agent's email account because they hacked it. But it wasn't your agent who sent it to you. And they have instructions for you to send a wire and it's a false set of instructions. So there are now apps on the marketplace, Modus, Trust Funds, Zocam, and others, that help to defend against wire transfer fraud. If you're shopping to buy a new house, talk to your real estate agent about how they're protecting you from wire transfer fraud. You can be pretty confident that this is a hot topic in real estate circles, and it's a pretty fair bet that your real estate agent is on top of this. So make sure you talk to them about it so that you are taking the steps necessary to protect yourself against the risk of accidentally wiring hundreds of thousands of dollars to a crook instead of buying the home of your dreams. So talk to your real estate agent about how they protect you. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com.
3: More with a host of the PBS TV series, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
2: Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. If you have some downtime this holiday season and you're thinking about getting your financial house in order for the new year, call us, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888 Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. You can take care of one of your New Year's resolutions before the new year. Just give us a call or visit our website. For now, let's go back to the telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show, heading off to West Orange, New Jersey. Gary, you're on the air. How are you doing? Hello, Rick. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, about
1: a month ago, I'm driving, and I'm flipping the stations. And I get another financial show, and the first thing the guy says is never buy a bond fund because you will get stuck with some terrible bonds. And I said, whoa. I said, isn't that the whole idea of why we diversify? Uh, you say that all the time, and you show right. that you know you 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 will expect to get some bonds. And also, I never heard of a four hundred one k offering individual bonds. Exactly. And number three, how is the average person going to have the expertise and time to study individual bonds? So I was just flabbergasted by by his statement.
2: Yeah, I share your astonishment, Gary. My only assumption is that the guy who made the statement, never buy bond funds, only buy bonds, is a guy who makes a living selling bonds. Uh, Because I can't imagine anybody else uh, endorsing the idea. Uh, It is a fundamental question that uh, consumers need to understand. I'm glad you're raising the point. And here's what it comes down to. We know there are two major asset classes stocks and bonds. And we know that they vary dramatically in risk. People don't want to put all their money into stocks because of the fear of a stock market crash. Uh, And so we diversify, as you pointed out, by having lots of eggs in our basket. Uh, In fact, we should have lots of baskets, not just lots of eggs in the basket. We should have a lot of baskets. So if anything goes wrong with any one egg or any one basket, We don't run the risk of losing all of our money. And so diversification matters. So yes, you should own stocks, not just a single stock, but a whole basket of stocks. And those stocks should be highly diversified both by the types of industries as well as the countries they come from. Same is true for bonds. You should not own a single bond. You should own a basket of bonds, bonds that come from a variety of issuers, not just companies, but also governments, and not just the U.S. government, but foreign governments as well. And you should have a variety of bonds, short-term bonds, long-term bonds, intermediate-term bonds. You should have bonds that are high quality as well as high yield, so that you're diversifying against the risk
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details
2: of those bonds. You can obtain this diversification these days remarkably easily simply by buying a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. And as you pointed out, Gary, um, 401k plans and all pretty much all retirement plans around the country allow you to do this through mutual funds. You can't buy individual stocks or individual bonds in a typical 401k plan, but you can buy a bond fund or a stock fund, makes it very easy, very inexpensive in order to obtain the diversification you're seeking. But having said all the above, I do want to point out that there is one advantage to buying an individual bond that you don't get with a bond fund. It's the maturity date. In other words, if you buy an individual bond, we know that the value of the bond will fluctuate. It'll go up and down along with interest rates in the economy. And if you sell the bond prior to maturity, you might get more or less than what you invested. Most bonds start out by being worth $10,000. That's typically what you pay for a bond. And... If you sell it before maturity, you might get more than 10 grand or less than 10 grand. But here's the key. If you hold the bond to maturity, you will get your 10 grand back because the issuer promises to do that. So as long as the issuer didn't go broke, they will pay you back your 10 grand. So the maturity date does give you the ability to be sure that you're going to get your money back. You simply have to wait for the maturity date. And if that maturity date is 10 years, you've got to wait 10 years. If it's 30 years, you got to wait 30 years. In a bond fund, there is no maturity date because the fund buys thousands of bonds, and as any one of them matures, the fund manager takes that money and goes and buys another bond, which means in a bond fund, you're always going to have that price fluctuation. We feel that you can mitigate that concern by simply buying bond funds that buy bonds of different maturity dates. You can buy a short-term bond fund. You can buy an intermediate-term bond fund and a long-term bond fund to help reduce the concern there. But that's really the only major difference that we see, and it's not enough of a difference to suggest that you should never own a bond fund and only buy individual bonds. I don't, I don't agree with that guy at all. So, I hope that makes sense. I think you're absolutely right, Gary. I have to believe that the guy who is telling people to never buy a bond fund and only buy bonds is making a living selling bonds. So you always have to question, what's the motivation of the individual you're listening to? Do they have an agenda? Do they have a conflict of interest? Have they disclosed it to you? I would hope that he did. I would hope that he was blunt and honest and open, saying, I am a bond salesman and I earn a living On commission selling bonds to my clients. I would hope that he would have said that Uh, and I'll share with you my disclosure. Our planners don't earn commissions. We don't make money selling proprietary products to our clients. We are a fee-based advisor. We are objective. We serve as a fiduciary, meaning we serve your best interests. And if we felt that it was in your best interest to buy a bond, that's what we would tell you to do. We don't feel that way, which is why we provide our clients with bond funds, a variety of bond funds, in order to obtain the diversification for our clients' portfolios that I've just described. If you've got further questions about your portfolio, whether or not you should have bonds in the portfolio, and if so, what kind of bonds and how much of your portfolio should be in those bonds, give us a call, just like Gary did. 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888 6742, or online at ricedelman.com. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. I want to ask you a question. Do you have plans to retire early, buy a home, become a lawyer? You shouldn't do any of those three things, not if you want to be happy. According to a recent survey of nearly 6,000 Americans, here's what they discovered those who rent. Detached single-family homes enjoy lower stress than those who are homeowners. And they're more likely to say they have a good work-life balance than homeowners. In other words, renters are happier than homeowners. And workers who tend to retire early tend to be less happy than those who work through age 65. Researchers found that the earlier people retired the more they had a decline in cognitive abilities. You want to stay sharp? Not just financially sharp, but mentally sharp? Keep on working. The University of Alberta looked at happiness levels as people aged from age 14 to 43. Over a 23-year period, they discovered that individuals generally grew happier even when adjusting for gender, marital status, unemployment, and health. So if you're not all that happy right now, don't worry about it. You're going to be happier tomorrow. You're going to be happier a decade from now. This is awesome. Except for, you know, lawyers. According to the research, lawyers are particularly unhappy. They suffer depression three and a half times more often than everyone else in society. The American Bar Association says problematic drinking is more profound in the legal profession than in other professional occupations. It's all about the truth about money. It's all about you figuring out what's going to make you happy. Chasing the stuff, the materialism, isn't necessarily it. Quitting your job early so you can relax on the golf course, that might not be it. Instead, being a productive member of society, contributing, staying engaged, challenging your brain as much as your physical health, I think that's uh, more closer to the tack. And it's all what financial planning is all about. Let's face it, our financial futures are going to be terribly different from those that our parents and grandparents have, for the simple reason that we're living longer and we're healthier much longer as well. Look at the age you're at now and compare that to your parents when they were your age, your grandparents and great-grandparents when they were your age. If you're in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, chances are you are much healthier today than your elders were in their day. And it's because of these wonderful advances in technology and science that are enabling all of these advances in healthcare and medical systems. And we are going to see continued improvements in that area. And that's why, more than ever financial planning is so very important. You never had to use to plan for your financial future because you simply weren't going to have one. Retired at 62, dead at 65. That's the way it was for most of the 20th century. But it's now the 21st and you're going to live longer than you ever thought, well into your 80s, 90s and hundreds. Researchers saying that many of the people alive today are going to see 110, 120. Will your money last as long as you do? If my colleagues and I here at Edelman Financial Engines can help you, call us at 888-PLAN-REC or visit us at rickedelman.com.
3: Named by Talkers Magazine as one of the heavy hundred talk show hosts in America, this is The Rick Edelman Show.
2: Taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show. We're heading off to Palatine, Illinois. Jay, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, Rick.
0: Thanks for having me on today.
2: What can I do for you, Jay?
0: Well, I've been following you for several years and I want to thank you for helping all of us with our finances. My pleasure. And I went to visit a financial planner and she. confirm that uh, my wife and I are in pretty good position, good but she you. did make two recommendations. Okay. One was to improve our cash position, which we have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the second was to start looking into uh, long-term care options. Okay. As part of my research, I ran into something I've never heard of called a continuing care at home service. And um, one of these firms, I'll just give you the general outline, they require a large deposit maybe excess of one hundred and eighty to $200,000. Mm-hmm. You pay a monthly fee of about $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And they also claim that upon your death, you may receive up to 90% of your money back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've never heard of anything like this, and I'm wondering if I should be considering this as part of my long-term care
2: plan. Well, possibly. Uh, what are the features of this program if living at home simply becomes impossible due to your health medical condition? Do they have a facility that you could move into?
0: They have several different options, um, but I I haven't looked into the details of it, so I don't really know for sure if this is just for in-home care. And my concern is giving someone a large deposit and if I am going to get some of that money back if something happens to me.
2: Right. I have not seen anyone offer a program that does what you say only for in-home care. I have seen, and it's frankly rather common, for facilities to offer continuing care community services where they work as you've described, meaning you, as you said, you pay... Couple hundred grand to sign up. You know, it's kind of like the initiation fee at a country club, frankly. Plus, you pay a monthly fee for uh, their services. And they have a variety of settings that you can uh, receive benefits from, starting with in home care, where they will come to your home to provide services, to uh, independent living at their facility. And these are condos apartments or single-family homes, Mm -hmm. then you move uh, to assisted living as as you age, as your health deteriorates and you need support, you go to assisted living, and then from there you go to uh, full-blown nursing care, and if you have uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, you'll go to a memory unit. And so as you uh, evolve, as you age, as you change, and your health medical needs uh, vary, you Move within this total community into a different type of support services depending on your needs. If mm-hmm. and when you move out or die, uh, then a portion of the initiation fee you'd paid, in your case you're saying 90%, we've routinely seen 65 to 85%, uh, gets refunded to you or your heirs. Uh, and notice that there's no interest paid on that money. And it's generally dependent on the institute's ability to get someone to move in to replace you, which is usually not a problem. Uh, and right. So, but you have to wait until that happens. So it can take several months before the refund is made. And as I said, there's no interest provided. You know, so if you're if they're holding on to your money for ten or twenty years by the time you get your money back, inflation adjusted, it's a lot less than the 90% they're promising you in effective, you know, real buying power economic terms. Still, not a bad program. What you've got to determine is the answer to two questions. First, is the quality of the services being provided by this organization acceptable for you? Second, how high is your confidence that they will sustain that high quality of service for the rest of your life,
0: are these uh, uh, are these firms regulated in any way, or are, do you just go by word of mouth? It's um,
2: insufficient there... regulation. The regulators tend to look at them for their long-term care services, but not for the independent living or necessarily the assisted living services. So you are largely going on their reputation uh, mm-hmm. and you and the brand. Um, how much can you rely on them? And this is true whenever you. Uh, make a long-term commitment, say, if you're going to buy a condo, you know, you're buying a condo in a brand new building. Well, those buildings are always gorgeous because they're brand new. But will the management maintain the high quality or will the quality of that condo decline over the next uh, decade or two? Because that'll affect the market value of the property. In fact, your flat-out ability to sell it or rent it at all. And you certainly don't want to be facing these kinds of issues in your 80s and 90s. Right. Um, so if there is a certain, I'll use the word gamble, that's not a fair word, uh, but there is a certain level of uncertainty. About it, and that's why you want to deal with an organization that has a very long history, a very strong track record, a good reputation in the community that is fully committed to this as a business model, as opposed to a brand new organization, fly by night, never done it before, largely funded by venture capital or private equity, meaning there's no depth of expertise in this particular kind of activity. So, you want to be careful. I will tell you that we have lots of clients who live in facilities like this. They generally love them. Mm -hmm. Uh, These facilities are growing in popularity and for obvious reasons. Millions of Americans are reaching these ages where they don't want to live in that 4,000-square-foot, four-bedroom house with a quarter-acre lot that you got to mow every other weekend. And these facilities provide fabulous community, wonderful services, Many restaurants, um, lots of activities and social benefits. We find our clients really love them. But it's, it's a personal decision. It's kind of like the over 55 communities. You know, it either fits your lifestyle or it doesn't. When it does and you've got a good quality operator, they're really terrific. On the right, other hand, right. we've seen – I'll give you an example of a horror story on the flip side. <clears throat> one of our clients, a married couple, moved into one of these facilities. His health then declined and the facility prohibited them from going to the community dining hall. Why? Because he was in a wheelchair and drooling, and the other residents didn't want to see that while they were dining. And so the facility management prohibited them from going to the dining room together and basically said the husband has to move into assisted living, but the wife, who doesn't need those services, has to stay in their apartment, forcing them to basically separate from each other. And these were within the rules of the property. So were they fully aware of these kinds of rules? What happens if one of you sustains a health issue that the other one does not, et cetera? So these are the kinds of things you need to evaluate, not just does it meet your lifestyle today, but will it fit your evolving lifestyles as you age and as you age differently between the two of you?
0: Yeah, and that's an important point because she's 12 years younger than I am. So it's likely that I'm going to have health issues before she does. Yeah. So uh, that's a scenario that would be horrible.
2: So go to the horrible. facility, look check in and say, "Hey, show us other couples that have been living in your facility for a long time where they have very different health situations. Mm-hmm. How's it working for them because what they are, you will be."
0: Yeah, and typically, well, since I'm still fairly in good health, I wouldn't be looking at something like this for a while, but you think you need a year in advance to start researching some of these facilities, to feel comfortable with that before making a commitment? Oh, I
2: think you should move into them as soon as you're ready to move into them. I mean, in Mm -hmm. 55-plus communities, people move in in their 50s. Others wait until they're in their 80s. So it's just a lifestyle decision. I
0: see. Well, I appreciate your help today, and long-time listener, and I'll continue to follow you.
2: You're very welcome. Thank you. If we can help you, yeah, 888-PLAN-RICK is how you reach us here at Edelman Financial Engines. That's 888-752-6742 or online at rickedelman.com. I'm Rick Edelman. It's been a pleasure being with you. Have a fabulous weekend and a wonderful New Year's. Wonderful prosperity and health and happiness to you and yours. And I only get to say this once a year I'll see you next year. And that's to wrap. As a reward, you'll have no radio for the rest of the week. Go to
3: your room. Say, say, 2000, party. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my
2: dentist's office.